Good morning. We're going to do some different things this morning. We pulled a bunch of old stuff out of the hymnal. So we're just going to sing together and, and praise the name of the Lord. And we'll start with Shirley the Present. Stand and sing with us. It's good to be back. When you miss a Sunday, it like messes up my whole week when I miss a Sunday. Um, I had the, I don't even know if I had the full-blown flu, but I had the aches and pains and chills and fever. And pray for everyone you know that has that. It is awful. It is a force to be reckoned with is what I called it. So glad to be back and, um, and so we can sing and praise together. Let's sing Standing on the Promises. Excuse me, let's sing this together.
Well, great. It's good to see everybody. We are missing our guitarists who are with the youth on uh, retreat. Ought to be back later this morning, I guess, by lunchtime. Um, but good to see you. We invite you to turn and greet one another, and we invite our children at the same time to come here uh, to, to join for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. I love those shoes. Did anybody this morning have to stop at a red light? I did on the way to church this morning. Did you have to stop at a red light? Do you know why do we have to stop at red lights? Why do we have to stop when it's red? Do you know? Yeah, their cars are common, right? And we have to be safe. We have to follow all the rules to keep us safe. And when, when it's red, we have to stop. And when it's green, we do what? Go. We go. Okay? So adults have to follow, all the grown-ups have to follow all those rules when they're driving in their car, right? Well, there's a really cool game that kids can play with red lights and green lights. Have you ever played that game, red light, green light? What are the rules for that game? When, when I say green light, what do you do? Go. You go and you run, right? And when I say red light, what do you do? You got to stop. You got to freeze, okay? Do so you want to play it really, really fast? Let's play it. Let's stand up. Come on, Lauren. You want to stand up with me? Let's go over here to these chairs, okay? Come on. And let's make a line right here on this black line. Can you line up on that black line? Sorry. Come on this black line right here. Okay. Do you remember the rules? Okay, we have to have some rules. So here you go, Landon. Right here. Stand right here beside Hudson. Hudson, you want to let Landon stand with you? Good job. Okay. So when I say green light, what are you going to do? You're going to run, right? Okay. And when I say red light, what are you going to do? You're going to stop. You're going to freeze. Are you ready? Okay, green light, go. Run, run, run. Red light, freeze. Freeze. Ready? Let's see who can make it to this line. Green light, red light, freeze. Green light, go. You made it all the way to the end. Good job. All right, have a seat. Good job. Okay. So sometimes we have to follow rules when, um, when there's rules for a game. And what, what other kind of rules do you have? Who else makes you follow rules? Your teachers ask you to follow rules. And who else? Who else asks you to follow the rules? Who asks you to follow rules, God. God asks you to follow rules. There's lots of rules that God asks us to follow. 
He is in our hearts. And when he is in our hearts and he asks us to follow those rules, we have to obey and do the right thing. And sometimes our mommies and daddies ask us to follow rules. And you know why? We pray before dinner. Yes, we pray before dinner. That's right. Our mommies and daddies ask us to follow the rules to keep us safe, too, just like the red light and the green light, okay? So every time, sometimes when we don't want to follow the rules, we have to remember we're following rules to keep us safe, okay? All right, well, let's say a little prayer. Close your eyes for me. Dear Lord, please help us to remember that when we are asked to follow rules, we have to follow those rules to keep us safe. And we have to remember to follow your rules and anybody else's. Amen. Children, in about 10 years, there'll be a fella in a white car with a blue light on top that'll help you learn the difference between red light and green light. <coughs> I've had several learning opportunities in my lifetime. <laughs> okay, let's see, got a couple of announcements here. First, though, let me give you time to fill out any prayer concern cards you have. We, if you're new to us, uh, we invite you to share any concerns that you might have for prayer. Ask you to write something on these index cards. Uh, raise your hand so our ushers can hand you a, an index card. And if you'd write something you don't mind me repeating, um, we'll join together with you in praying for uh, your concerns. Um, also, I see that the registration pad is already started even as we speak. We invite you to register your attendance and worship today. If I'm not mistaken, Daylight Savings Time begins next weekend. You know, they ran it up. Uh, and so you stay up till 2 o'clock on Sunday night, or, or Saturday night, rather, or you do it before you go to bed, and that's so you'll be here on time. That's next weekend we return to Daylight Savings Time when you spring forward. Um, all of our children's classrooms are now located in this building. Boy, does that simplify lots of things, including security. Uh, if you are a preschooler, you're on the first floor. If you are in elementary school, kindergarten, you know, five-year-old kindergarten, first grade on up to high school senior, you're upstairs in this building. The partners in faith have moved into the Davenport building into what used to be the second and third graders. This first one as you come in from the uh, back, first door to your right. So there's been some shifting around. We had a, a small army of uh, movers yesterday rearranging everything. And we're real excited about that. I um, think it's going to be a good thing for us to have all the children over here. Let's see. Also, we have a rose here, which is in honor of the birth of Madeline Elizabeth Carpenter, uh, Brian Danielle's daughter, and we uh, celebrate that new life, and uh, they're, they're at home now, so we are grateful for this. The United Methodist Committee on Relief, UMCOR, as it is called, is a wonderful, wonderful organization that goes at home and around the world trying to hand out things that people need after a disaster strike. They're there 
in, within hours after uh, storms or earthquakes. And um, we pay the salaries of the people involved through another mechanism in the Methodist Church. So every penny that you give to UMCOR goes to the need, which is neat also. Not many charities can give that kind of a report to you that it's uh, that successful uh, in terms of taking a, a dollar and delivering that dollar. Um, these envelopes are there in various places in your uh, seats near you. Today is in the Methodist Church one great hour of sharing, which is a day we invite you to make contributions to this cause uh, above and beyond what you already have been giving. And we do invite you to do that. And if you can't do it today, take one of these home and bring it back with you next time. Outrigger Island is searching for assistant island guides. That's our vacation Bible school theme. Uh, June 8th through 12th from 5.50 until 8.30 p.m. If you're interested in being an assistant island guide, otherwise known as an assistant teacher uh, for VBS, please complete this form and turn it into the church office or place it in the offering plate no later than March the 10th. We need an assistant island guide for first uh, one and two year olds, three and four year olds, K-5 first grade, second and third grades. We also need a VBS photographer and a records keeper. So uh, hope that uh, is clear. Hope that you'll be helping out. It looks like it's going to be a wonderful event for our children. They're already working on it, Lee is, with volunteers. What am I leaving out? Bible school, I mean, uh, Bible study for children's tonight. Um, confirmation class for youth, 4.30 today. Gathering of new members to, is at 5 over in the social hall, I believe. So we invite you to be a part of all that. Um, where is Zach? Zach Guest, stand up. Uh, Zach, I want to say get Alex to stand up, but that would be cruel, wouldn't it, Alex? To, he got all the hype, didn't he? <laughs> Zach is, these are two fine young men. Um, Zach is away from us right now in college down in Charleston, and uh, his family joined the church a few weeks back, but he wasn't here to be recognized, so I want to recognize him at this time. Um, glad to have you a part of our church. And, <clears throat> I'm racking up points with Alex. He's going to one day get even with me. I'm not sure what he'll do. But. Are you ready to pass in the... Uh, uh, your prayer cards I'll invite you to do that and let our ushers collect them Great. any others let us join our hearts together in prayer We do need you every hour, O Lord. We come to you now knowing that, that sometimes we come in joy and thanksgiving. Sometimes we come with heaviness upon our hearts and concerns for ourselves or our loved ones. We're thankful that we can come to you and we know that you're always willing to receive us even as 
parents are always willing to have their children come and talk with them. So we come now to our Heavenly Father to share these concerns. We pray, O oh Lord, for a grandmother who is in declining health. We pray for Barry Howell and his battle with cancer. We pray for our young people who are returning home from a retreat. We pray for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones, for Woody Shepherd's struggle with numerous problems, for the Holcomb family who lost their infant daughter on Friday, for the healing of Carl Reinick and Mike Berg, for a friend who lost her son two years ago today. Lord, these are our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's see if I've got this working. Yes. Scripture lesson is from John 9, verses 1 through 16. As he went along, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. <clears throat> his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Here ends the lesson. Thrown into the spotlight. As I read this story again, several things just struck me as very, very, very funny. You know, I've kind of got a warped sense of humor anyway. 
Um, and sometimes I see things after all these years of looking at the same stories over and over. Um, it's very difficult for any of us to imagine what it would be like to be totally blind without the ability to see anything at all and to have been that way ever since we were born. Well, today we've got some wonderful schools. Now, what is that? Okay, back up. Oh, that didn't turn out too good. That's supposed to be Braille. Uh, today we have many wonderful schools to teach the blind, like the School for Deaf and Blind. We have the Braille alphabet and printed materials for the blind, enabling blind people to lead fairly normal, productive lives. But that's not always been the case. For most of human history, blind people, as well as people with other disabilities, have been forced into the poverty and loneliness of becoming beggars. I can remember my childhood days in Spartanburg, uh, visiting downtown and also going out to the county fair, where I would see men who were blind or missing arms and legs sitting there begging for some money. Did any of you all have that memory as well? It was persons with these kinds of disabilities that Jesus cared for every day. The blind man of John 9 had lived in darkness all of his life. He had adjusted to living at home with his parents, even though he was old enough to live on his own. At least he would not be as poor as those who were living without parents. Each day he would do his best to earn a little income for the family by begging. This is the comical part to me. One day while he was sitting there minding his own business, begging, a teacher and his 12 disciples walked by. They were discussing something, but the blind man couldn't really hear the conversation. Then the blind man heard someone spitting on the ground, making some mud, and then suddenly, here's mud in your eyes. Now, he hadn't asked for any of this. He's just sitting there minding his own business, asking for money, and suddenly, splat, here's mud in your eyes. And then comes the command, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Since the man didn't really enjoy having mud in his eyes. Okay, we'll catch up here in a minute. He went to that spot to, uh, he went to wash his eyes off. He did as he was told. Then comes the surprise. When the mud pack is washed off, he could see. For the first time in his life, he could see. The first thing he did was to go back home, and that wasn't an easy journey because probably his new sight confused him more than helped him. I can imagine that he had to close his eyes to find his way home. It appears from the text that the formerly blind man did not make any big announcement when he got home or call any attention to himself. He just went into the house, and to me that seems very odd. I would have been dancing in the street. But he didn't tell anyone. Perhaps he was afraid of something. Perhaps he was frightened at the prospect of having to learn a trade and actually go to work now. Perhaps he was just a quiet individual who didn't like being thrown into the spotlight. Some neighbors began to notice the man and said, that sure does look a lot like the blind man of that family. But it isn't him. It couldn't be him. 
Others said, why, it is him. I wonder how he received his sight. Someone finally asked him, and he owned up to it. He said, yes, I'm the one. I used to be blind, but now I see. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it, in, put it on my eyes and told me to go to the river Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Suddenly, this man found himself thrown into the spotlight. And he wasn't used to that kind of attention. And he certainly wasn't seeking it at all, any more than he had been seeking mud in his eyes. But his neighbors will not let him alone. Since the controversial teacher had been involved, Jesus, and since it had already been decided in that community that the followers of Jesus would not be permitted to come into the synagogue, the neighbors decided to drag the man to see some leading scholars, Pharisees, some teachers of the law, who decided to conduct an investigation. The man born blind now finds himself caught in the middle of a huge controversy. He had just been begging for money. He'd had mud thrown in his eyes. He washed off the mud and now he could see. He had no idea how this would happen, except that it was done by that man they called Jesus. Reluctantly, the man is forced into the witness stand to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, when that was not his desire at all. Here's the problem. The man had healed, been healed on the Sabbath, the holy day of rest as ordered by the Ten Commandments. Doctors were not supposed to practice medicine on the Sabbath. Even broken bones were often allowed to wait until the first day of the week, Sunday, uh, when the Sabbath was over to be set. Now, while Jesus had great respect for the law, he didn't always agree with its application in the first century society. When an interpretation of the law created a hardship for any of God's children, Jesus would break that law, as he did whenever he healed on the Sabbath. But no one could deny that a most miraculous event had taken place. No one had ever seen a man who was blind from birth receive sight. God must have given this man, Jesus, the power to heal. But how can that be if Jesus broke the Ten Commandments? So the Pharisees were divided on their opinion about Jesus. It is worth remembering here during this season of Lent that one of the reasons that the religious leaders worked to have Jesus arrested and crucified was he broke their laws. He was considered to be a lawbreaker. He might have threatened King Herod and troubled Pontius Pilate by appearing to have some political ambitions. But it was Jesus' apparent disregard for the law of Moses that caused the religious people to reject him. He consistently did things that seemed to say, the law is not as important as you people think that it is. He forgave people that obeyed, disobeyed the law. He repeatedly healed on the Sabbath. He treated saints and sinners just the same, as if both were God's children. Imagine that. He didn't abide by racial or religious distinctions that divided people from each other. The religious authorities were afraid that Jesus and his followers might do away with the important religious customs like sacrifices sacrifices 
circumcision, and dietary rules. And you know, they were right. We did. They moved against Jesus because he was viewed as one who was a danger to their religious way of life. Now Jesus still has a way of unsettling our religious lives from time to time, especially in cases when we have made a tradition out of an application of a law more important than one of God's children. When we are wrong about an emphasis placed on any particular law, Jesus still finds a way of unsettling us. Now I find this story very fascinating because here's a man who experienced the most marvelous healing, one he did not seek for or ask for. He was not healed because he had any faith in Jesus. He was healed because Jesus took the initiation and just chose the man as the object of his healing. Jesus saw an opportunity to do good for the man, to do the work of God in this man's life with or without that man's permission. Don't you find that a bit fascinating? Many people did come to Jesus in faith and were healed. Many came to Jesus to be saved. But I know of one man in scripture who was saved while he was in the very act of defying God's will. That man was Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Paul wasn't interested in faith in Jesus, but God was interested in Paul and struck him down on the road to Damascus and gave him a chance to change his mind. It is a point for us to celebrate that God can operate in God's own way outside the norm when it serves his purpose. Sometimes we choose to follow Christ. Sometimes it seems that Christ chooses us to follow him. One of my preacher friends who is retiring this year in the lower part of the state is a Spartanburg boy. I met him when he was uh, coming back from Vietnam. He'd been shot and was recovering at Fort Jackson and his family contacted me because I was working in Columbia and I went to see him. Found out his story as he was heading into the ministry. He went to a tent revival one time in some community, determined to make fun of the preacher and to disrupt the meeting. Ended up on his knees at the front of that tent giving his life to Jesus. Sometimes God does things that surprise us. And sometimes we get thrown into the spotlight also. It might be on our jobs or in our backyard. Someone just might want to know why in the world, this modern world of scientific discoveries, you would believe in Jesus Christ. I remember one time having a coworker say to me <clears throat> after he learned that I went to church, well, what other fairy tales do you believe in? Often I feel pretty bad when I'm thrown into the limelight because I don't always do a good job. I'm not always prepared to give an answer or to defend my faith. I feel like I messed up an opportunity to share my faith because I was caught off guard. Oh, if I just had some time to prepare before being thrown into the spotlight. But then I remember the story of this blind man and I take comfort in the fact that he didn't do all so, so well either when he was thrown into the limelight and yet his witness was very effective. He was very reluctant to say anything about his healing. Like a lot of us, he didn't have the ability to make an eloquent defense of his faith. At one point when asked again about how he received his sight, 
he lost his temper and said, I've already told you several times, why do you want to hear it again? You ever lost your cool when you've been thrown into the spotlight for your faith? He finally got tired of the whole inquiry process and absolutely taunted the Pharisees. He says, now this is really remarkable. You don't have any idea where Jesus comes from and yet he opened my eyes. I've done some of the same things when put on the spot for my faith. I've lost my cool. I've resorted to sarcasm. But what we often forget is that what Jesus has done in our lives, that we live every day in a certain way because of what God has done for us, that speaks louder than any words we can ever say. Even though this man could have told his story more effectively, it was an undeniable truth that his life was different because he had come in contact with Jesus. That couldn't be denied. Somehow the reality of what Christ has done in your life and in mine testifies better than we can ever say with our words. And that's good to remember. The greatest statement this blind man made in defense of Christ was when he said, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I can see. That's the best answer we can give to those who question our faith. I don't know how to prove to you that God exists and that Jesus is his son and that he arose from the dead. What I do know is that once I was lost and now I'm found. I was hopeless and now I look forward to tomorrow. I once was frightened at the prospect of death and what it might hold for me, but now I'm no longer afraid for I know the one who holds the key to heaven. I cannot explain to you how prayer works. I just know that it does. I know that God hears me when I pray, and I feel better after I pray. And many times after I pray, the situation gets better and is resolved. And I don't understand that, but I experience that. I cannot explain how the one God is in three persons. I just know that I've experienced the love of a daddy the companionship of a brother, and the power of his spirit. I don't know how God created the heavens and the earth, but what I know is that once I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. That's the most powerful testimony any of us can ever give. I also learned from this story something about my attitude toward the afflictions of others. I'm not to concentrate on what caused the trouble, but rather finding some solution. The disciples wanted to know why the man was blind. Jesus didn't seem to care, except that he had the power to make things better. And that's what Jesus was concentrating on. Troubles are not always caused by sins. This man was blind, not because he or his parents had sinned, but so that God would have an opportunity to display his work in that man's life. How would our lives be different if when something bad happens, we prayed, God, here's another opportunity for you to be at work in my life. What if we said that instead of, oh, why me? What might happen if we approached the trouble, troubles of others praying, 
God, how is your love going to be displayed in that person's life today? How can I help? Lord, help us today to do the work of the one who sent you. For night is coming when no one can work. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving. you to stand as we join together in the uh, affirmation of faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
may you go forth in peace, finding the God of surprises coming and bringing life and health to you when you haven't even asked for it, finding opportunities for you to serve in his name and witness for him that you haven't prepared for. But he will be with you to give you his strength.